Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And a couple of things I want to get off my chest before we start today's episode. First of all, I was not planning on making an episode today. Hangouts and Headlines is a lot of fun. I want it to be a show that lasts for a long time. And part of that equation is making sure that I don't burn out on it. I love doing these episodes with you. I love having the conversations with you all that we've been able to have in this space. But for the most part, I'm going to avoid doing episodes on Saturday and Sunday. I suspect to a lot of you that makes a lot of sense. But on occasion, I will do an episode like this one if I think there is something that is prominent and otherwise worthy of commentary. The other thing I want to point out is, as I saw in the comments today, there are concerns that this is getting a little bit metacontextual. I share those concerns. I was not planning on doing an episode about the coverage of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. That is about the coverage of that coverage and is now about my coverage and other people's coverage of that coverage of the coverage, right? We're a little too far down Inception Road on this, uh, and I don't love it. So this is not going to be the order of the day. Hopefully, never again, in all honesty. But... The truth of the matter is, as folks that have their voices heard on YouTube, not just LawTube, not just lawyers, but experts of all kind, nurses, psychologists, psychiatrists, other experts, maybe woodworking, if that's really what you're into. I, I don't know, Rob. I don't understand half the things you say on my timeline at this point. If whatever you're into is represented on YouTube and it gains traction, and the journalistic media decides that that is something of a threat or a concern or otherwise, there are going to be articles like the ones we have looked at in this space, right? We just talked about this, realistically, just a couple of days ago. We talked about an article in the Washington Post from author Taylor Lorenz that was about, what was it about, honestly? It was a series of paragraphs that was about how certain social media content creators had gained popularity primarily through the notion of their pivoting to cover a legal trial in Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard that, at least impliedly in that article, some of those folks had no business otherwise commenting on. And it expresses between the lines a certain morality policing, a high hoarseness that says, hmm, these people that make these fancy man videos are now talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. What is this person who's 17 years old talking about with respect to those things. But in that article, they added a reference to Legal Bites, who, if you've been following me at all, you know is the channel and personality that I have been helping out uh, the most with vis-a-vis uh, -vis Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. She's an attorney. She has a platform. She brings in other attorney panelists, as well as some other experts, like I said, nurses, psychologists, that kind of thing. Uh, and has conversations with them about the trial. In this article that's on your screen right now, and you can check out my coverage of the article itself uh, on Friday of this past week, that article essentially says, well, we're not going to mention that she's a lawyer. We're not going to mention that she has a legal platform. We're not going to mention that that platform has lawyers talking about this case. What we are going to mention is her name and that she makes some money doing this. Now, I have my issues with the structure of this article on its face. You can see those in last Friday's video, but it wasn't really that that became the national news story this past weekend. If you've been on social media or following this at all, you know that 
our friend Alita Legal Bites, as well as a channel called That Umbrella Guy, has gotten the national spotlight primarily because of the way in which the Washington Post handled criticism of its work. Not criticism of the content, mind you, and we're going to be talking about that uh, in just a second, but in the way that they actually uh, journalismed this, right? If you watch this video from last Friday, you will note that one of the things I stumble upon while I'm going over it is that they actually changed a line that they didn't otherwise note in their edit. Now, before we get into the weeds on this, and I know we just dove into the headlines. I apologize we didn't get to do, you know, where you calling in from kind of stuff at the, stop, at the top of this. But I want to make sure we get all of this information out there because I think it's important. Uh, at, at the start of all this, uh, we looked at the issue and we got a tweet from Legal Bites that went out and said, hey, I didn't respond to requests for comment here. I know I've gotten a lot of emails over the past two months, but I've just double checked for your name, Taylor Lorenz, and I see no email from you. Also, I didn't suddenly pivot. I started covering this trial before trial began. So if you look at the paragraph as it was presented in the original Washington Post article, you see there's a discussion of Alita. There's a discussion of that umbrella guy. And then there's this parenthetical here that says Majeka, it's Alita's last name, and that umbrella guy did not respond to requests for comment, which means a couple of things, right? First of all, it means requests were made before this article was published. Then it means that there was no uh, other response, not a negative response. They didn't say no comment. They didn't do those kinds of things. They didn't decline formally. This says they were reached out to before publication and that they did not respond at all to requests for comment. Now, Alita says, no, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't get any requests uh, for comment there. And so the Washington Post in between this tweet and when I'm looking at it on Friday, does this. Takes this paragraph and removes that line. Doesn't mention it to anybody. If you look here, there's no edit mark here. And we're looking at the Wayback Machine actually from the next morning, I believe. Uh, there's no edit mark here. You go through the article and the only thing you see at the bottom is that the story has been updated to clarify comments made during Waldman's testimony. Now that's odd enough from a kind of journalistic standpoint, because you don't actually get an edit line here. But that's it. That's all they say at the top of this is that they got it removed from for Waldman's testimony. And, and Alita and I talk about it in that Friday video. I say, oh my God, this was stealth edited. Uh, and that's not the right way to do these things. Ironically, this article really is about, hey, content creators of the wild, wild west. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be trusting them because they don't have the ethical standards that the legacy media otherwise upholds. And then in this article, they actually stealth edit the, the change. Now, this continues on for a little bit. I point out that they stealth edit the change in discussing the video that we did on Friday. And this becomes a big deal in certain circles. We're going to come back to that point in a couple of minutes towards the end of this analysis piece. And again, if you're super chatting now or otherwise trying to get my attention, I apologize. I just want to make sure that we get through this uh, at the top of this particular video. Uh, is that a number of quarters kind of took interest in this. Uh, and if we're framing out which quarters did, you might otherwise describe them as kind of the right or conservative side of the U.S. political spectrum. Uh, and I did a little digging on this. As I said in that video, thank you, pop-up ads, I don't know the author here, Taylor Lorenz from Adam. I, I don't know her at all. Some people sent me some things about how she was in the news prior to all of this happening this past weekend, but I want to get that out in front because I have no ill will towards Taylor Lorenz, although I'm potentially growing into it 
uh, as she responds to some of the issues here. And we'll talk about that uh, into the video. But I had nothing that I brought to the party here. No other biases towards who this person was, other than the fact that she apparently had misrepresented the contact points that she had had with Alita Legal Bites and apparently uh, that umbrella guy. And this was taken up on those conservative websites, I guess, because Taylor Lorenz is known as uh, coming against that, an enemy of the conservative websites. I, I don't know the specifics on the politics there, but this is going to be a point of contention for Ms. Lorenz uh, as she goes out on Twitter yesterday. Wow, this website really has a lot of pop-up ads. Uh, it goes out uh, on Twitter yesterday and really blames everybody but herself for what has happened. Um, so with that said, I do want to point out that in this space, we don't believe in ad hominem attacks. We don't believe in calling names. We don't believe in argument based on the person in question. We believe on discussing the arguments as they are presented, the work product, the articles. And we have enough to criticize on this particular score without getting into personal attacks. I promise you on that. So let's stick to that and make sure that we don't become one of these sites or other conversation forums or points of interest that Ms. Lorenz is otherwise complaining about because... Honestly, we make our points better in this space online and in other spaces by sticking to those facts. That's something that the Washington Post and Ms. Lorenz are inclined to forget on this particular topic. But the National Review says, hey, stealth edit. That's interesting. And then they actually do something that Ms. Lorenz didn't do. They reach out to Alita. Two social media figures whom Lorenz targeted, Legal Bites host Alita Majeka and an anonymous user named The Umbrella Guy say that they she never asked them for comment even though she said she did in the piece. In the story, Lorenz said that Majeka and that umbrella guy did not respond to requests. Alita says, I can confirm that she did not reach out to me at all until I called her out on Twitter. After I did, she reached out to me by Twitter DM, keep that in mind, providing her phone number for me to call her at some time. She never attempted to make an appointment or to facilitate a specific time to talk about the article. Additionally, and I think importantly, she also left out the name of my channel and the fact that I'm an attorney. If she had included the name of my channel, it would have been clear that it isn't so out of character for me to cover something like the Depp v. Heard trial because I cover lawsuits and trials all the time. She also feels that they mischaracterized what the Business Insider article was talking about when Ms. Lorenz apparently used that as the baseline for her sourcing here. And then Alita says, in reality, I had been covering this case in the weeks leading up to the trial. I can confirm that 100% and had committed to live streaming and producing daily recaps of the trial every day for six weeks. I made that decision to commit to this trial long before it ever became clear that it would become the global phenomenon that it became. And then they have a little bit of the Twitter that we just looked at. We have a little bit from Umbrella Guy. And then National Review is interested in saying, hey, they removed it without acknowledging the mistake. So this becomes a national news story. This is in Fox. This is a national review. And ultimately, it would get into other places as well, including places like The Wrap, who noted after this stealth edit was made, and I apologize for the 6,000 pop-up ads from on these sites, folks, a previous version of this story inaccurately attributed to Adam Waldman, a quote describing how he contacted some inf internet influencers. That quote has been removed. So they tweaked the Waldman note. And then they added... The story has also been amended to note the post's attempts to reach Alita Majeka and that umbrella guy for comment. Previous versions omitted or inaccurately described these attempts. Now, what they actually said here, if we look, is she declined to comment for this story. And then they added the note that we just read. Similarly, that umbrella guy could not be reached for comment. And I said, well, that's not what happened. Right. Looking at this again online, as they try to work this correction out, I say, no, 
they didn't contact them beforehand. This was evident. That's why you removed it without telling anybody that you removed it. And so I personally tweeted out, hey, does that new correction properly describe saying they reached out without ever reaching out, stealth removing any reference to reaching out, and then adding a line about refusal to comment, and not mentioning that it's happening after publication of the story? And I think the answer to that is self-evident. And so you get the Washington Post kind of twisting and turning and not just saying the easy thing, not just going out there and saying, look, we got this wrong. We're looking into our processes about how that line even got in there. Thank you for your attention to this matter, right? There's an old adage in crisis communication and public relations in general. It says, don't make a one-day story into a two-day story. And the Washington Post is working on making this into something like a five-day story as we watch this. And the, the reasoning behind that is, look, own up to your sins, talk about them, and move on. This, honestly, isn't that interesting if you're not doing this at the time, right? And people have come to me in my tweets because I've been talking about this a lot because I talk about media, as you know, from Hangouts and Headlines, and I talk about the Depp v. Heard trial. And of course, I support my friend at Legal Bites. But as I talk about this, some people are coming out and saying, hey, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, Taylor Lorenz is going to make that argument to you all in just a few minutes. It's not that big of a deal. It's just an error in kind of the editing process. And to some extent, I agree. Okay, I think it's bad. I think at no point should you be changing your article and not immediately thinking, hey, I need to add another edit editor's note saying what I did. I think that's journalistic integrity on these points. In fact, people say, well, what journalistic integrity does it have that bounds you on YouTube? Well, one, it's my ethical considerations and my own personal ethics and the legal ethics that prevent me from going out with falsehoods and whatnot. But also, if you look at the mechanisms here, if I go into a comment and I change that comment, you'll get a line that says edited. And a lot of the times, if it's a major or material edit, I will go in there and explain what happened in terms of it being changed because that's the right way to handle communications with people, especially on a YouTube comment or something like that where you might collect likes and you don't want to change it to the reverse of what you just said and have those likes and otherwise representing people's uh, advancement of something that they weren't intending to advance. I feel very bound by that, which is one of the reasons I questioned the premise of the article in the first place. But the Washington Post keeps twisting on this stuff rather than just admitting it. And I don't know why that is. Because the next version of this goes a little something like this. This is elevated above the article now as folks like me and Alita and Umbrella Guy and now National Review and Fox News and The Wrap and other people that are picking up this news story say none of that is right yet. We actually have these people going out and saying they weren't contacted. And the Washington Post basically triples down. Editor's note. The first published version of this story stated incorrectly that internet influencers Alita Majeka and that umbrella guy had been contacted for comment before publication. In fact, only Majeka was asked via Instagram. Okay, so keep this in mind. The sentence is, the, we erroneously said that they were requested for comment. In fact, only Alita was asked and via her Instagram. After the story was published, the post continued to seek comment from Majeka via social media and queried that umbrella guy for the first time. During that process, the post removed the incorrect statement from the story, but did not note its removal, a violation of our corrections policy. The story has been updated to note that Majeka declined to comment for this story and that Umbrella Guy could not be reached for comment. Now, interestingly, Alita will fight that a little bit. I have seen some of the messages that she sent that weren't exactly declinations of comment, but probably weren't intended to be added to the story. Uh, so I'll demure on that. A previous version of this story also inaccurately attributed a quote to Adam Waldman, a lawyer for Johnny Depp. The quote described how he contacted some internet influencers and has been removed. So they got a major material portion of the story wrong. 
But in this particular respect, the comment itself, they do admit to their credit, let's give credits where they're due, that stealth edits are not a part of Washington Post policy, which is good. It goes against all ethical standards, not just limited to journalistic ethical standards, but you can't change things in an article and not tell people that you're otherwise changing them. So you look at this statement, but they've presented another problem, right? If you're a lawyer looking at this, you have that problem jump out at you. There is now a fact and evidence that has to be backed up, right? They have now gone out and said, we are unwilling to just eat the loss and say, you know what? We never commented anybody. We, we talked to Alita first. We talked to Alita on her Instagram, which leads to the story, of course, who is Elon Musk. That's exactly what we want to talk about today. Uh, okay, Fox News, I get you. You got a show to, 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 to promote. Um, and now we got, okay, all right, good Lord. <laughs> Following the internet media uh, websites here is, is quite the trick without pop-ups jumping out at you all the time. Fox News goes out with the headline that is on the thumbnail to this video. YouTuber says WAPO correction on Taylor Loren's story claiming contact on Instagram before publication is false. Taylor Lorenz claims she contacted two YouTubers for her story, which was later stealth edited. The Washington Post attempted to clean up a mess made by Taylor Lorenz this week, publishing a lengthy correction on a report she had written, but it now appears the correction needs a correction. Lorenz, the Post star internet culture columnist, landed herself in hot water for claiming in her story on Thursday about content creators who thrived during the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial that she had reached out for comment to two YouTubers, Legal Bites host Alita Majeka and an anonymous user named That Umbrella Guy. Both Majeka and That Umbrella Guy called out Lorenz on Twitter, claiming she never appeared, attempted to seek comment from them prior to publishing. Following Fox's News' first reporting on the dust-up on Friday, the Post issued a correction at the bottom of its report. Then on Friday evening, the Post issued a second lengthier correction, which was later relabeled an editor's note. However, the claim from the Post that Lorenz had contacted Majeka on Instagram prior to publication is not true, according to her. What, says Alita? Washington Post, I will say this again, I was not reached out to by Taylor Lorenz for comment until after my tweet below. She reached out to me by IGDM after she did on Twitter. Both DMs were sent to me after I called her out here. And while I'm not a party to the communications on this directly, I can tell you I was communicating with Alita at the time this was all happening. And that does line up with the timeline that it appeared to line up with while it was occurring during this period in time. Fox News obtained a screenshot of Lorenz's direct message on Instagram to Majeka with a timestamp showing the columnist reached out after her story was published. My goodness, Washington Post. In fact, Lorenz began her message by saying, hi there, I tried reaching out to you on Twitter also, which I can tell you appeared to happen after the publication, meaning she had already tried contacting her on Twitter prior to Instagram as timestamps seen by Fox News show all after publication. Majeka called out the falsehood on Twitter, telling the Post, please stop lying and take the L, which does sound, in fact, like Alita. In a statement to Fox News, Majeka said the incident appears to be a microcosmic example of bigger issues going on in mass media these days, which is the reason why I attracted uh, to live streaming every minute of the Depp Heard trial. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the quote that she gave, but, you know, good college try, Fox News. Uh, Fox News reached out to the Washington Post to act whether Lorenz claimed to her editors she contacted Majeka on Instagram prior to publishing without having actually shown her message and whether Lorenz will face repercussions if it is revealed she was dishonest to her employer. Fox News also asked why the correction was labeled as an editor's note, despite the admission that the Post removed an incorrect statement without acknowledgement. Uh, and then that's basically the substance here. And again, look, if you say, hey, Rick, I don't listen to Fox News, who can blame you? 
I follow Fox. I follow Vox. I like to know what all these people are saying. But certainly there appears to be an element of politics here. And it's an element that Taylor Lorenz herself has seized upon, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation in the first place. So Taylor Lorenz goes out yesterday afternoon with a series of tweets that blame everybody on earth for this uh, except herself. Uh, and that blame includes me in general, uh, in generalities, because I was conversing and otherwise having commentary on this throughout the weekend. So let's see what she says about this particular issue. Last Thursday, an incorrect line was added to a story of mine before publishing due to a miscommunication with an editor. Now that's a lot to unpack already. So we got some passive voice that the line was added. It appeared from nowhere. Who added it? Did I add it? Did the editor add it? It certainly implied that the editor added it. Was added to a story of mine before publishing due to a miscommunication with an editor. What was that miscommunication? Did you tell them that you had contacted uh, these two people? Did they ask you and something got confused as to when you said, no, I did not ask those people? Was it informed to you that the editor went out and reached out to these people and so you added the line? All sorts of possibilities, none of which are terribly satisfying. But we do know, passive voice, an incorrect line was added. And certainly that line appears to have been incorrect. I did not write the line and was not aware it was inserted. Okay, not Taylor Lorenz's fault in the second sentence. It must be the editor that added a line about who the journalist contacted, probably not without asking the journalist. I asked for it to be removed right after the story went live. Sure, because as soon as the story goes live, both Alita and that umbrella guy are saying, what? You didn't contact me. The line was a sentence saying that I reached out to two YouTubers for comment for my story. The inclusion of the YouTubers was only in passing, citing another outlet's reporting. Now that in and of itself is ambiguous and vague, she did take the Business Insider article about Alita and essentially just regurgitate certain aspects of it. Aspects, by the way, which are out of date by the time her article was written. That umbrella guy only has a reference to money potentially made vis-a-vis -vis Social Blade, which is a website that you can go look at and try to figure out what people are making on their channels. And I will tell you, as I always do, that Social Blade is perhaps useful to show kind of overall growth or shrinkage in a channel but its numbers are way off because all advertisement on YouTube is based on demographics and what people are buying at the time. And so they give you this big range and then it's maybe useful on a given day and it's maybe not on another day. Uh, and that's just the way it is. I think everybody that uses that tool understands it has certain strengths, but also a, a myriad of weaknesses. But that's not another outlet's reporting on that umbrella guy. So I don't know why she's referencing that here. After the story went live, I reached out to both YouTubers mentioned in that sentence just to be extra sure there wasn't some sort of commentary they wanted to add. Neither provided comment for the story and both continued to post about me. So this is interesting, right? The Washington Post, her employer, has gone out with a statement saying that Alita, Legal Bites, was reached out to before publication via Instagram. Here you have the author, after that correction has been made, going out live on Twitter and effectively saying that's not true. After the story went live, I reached out to both YouTubers, right? So you have here Taylor Lorenz effectively conflicting with her own editor's note on her article, which is the third pass of a note, including the first one that didn't even reference the stealth edit and only referenced the Waldman mistake, saying, nah, the Washington Post is getting it wrong. And as of right this second, I believe, the Washington Post still has the original note up. 
The mention of these two individuals was not remotely the focus of my story. It's become a huge distraction. I spoke to over two dozen creators for my story about the trial, along with other experts who are quoted in the piece. Now, I agree with the overall assertion of this tweet. Alita and the Umbrella Guy are not the focus of the piece, but she's trying to establish that these people are pivoting towards coverage. And she found Alita and that Umbrella Guy making some money on YouTube, and she's trying to strengthen, trying to bolster her argument that look at all the money you can make on YouTube, but we're not going to mention, as the Business Insider article where she took the information from did, that Alita is a lawyer, that her channel is called Legal Bites, and that she uses a panel of lawyers to discuss these particular legal issues. She spoke to over two dozen creators, may well be true, but when you start fighting these obvious inaccuracies so hard, I'm left with the question of when should I believe you on this stuff, right? I'm an optimist. I'm a guy that likes to give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you probably heard me say, let me play devil's advocate for a moment about 6,000 times while covering Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. But I look at this and say, this is such an obvious fault and you refuse to acknowledge it, but it can't get worse from there, surely, surely. This should have been a small correction for a miscommunication, but it turned into a multi-day media cycle intentionally aimed at discrediting the Washington Post and me. And you can't help but think here, right? You can't help but think of something like episode three in Star Wars where uh, they say, you've turned them against me. It's like, no, no, you're doing that yourself, right? I was interested in talking about your arguments in the article, which I found wanting on their own merits, but reasonable minds can differ on opinions there. You're taking something that could have easily been a molehill and by correcting it multiple times and now fighting about it on Twitter, you're turning it into a mountain. That's not my fault. And I don't want it to be a mountain. Honestly, I would prefer to trust or at least partially trust the institutions that are otherwise supposed to be giving us straight line news and opinions and, and good stuff out there that we can all be better informed by. I'm finding it problematic here and that doesn't make me happy. We have a responsibility to recognize, recognize these bad faith campaigns for what they are and when these sorts of things do and do not warrant acknowledgement, to which I say, okay, all right, you're going to call criticism of this obvious factually incorrect situation and the corrections themselves being incorrect as a bad faith campaign. Now we've got issues and we'll get to them in just a second. I'm extremely happy at the Washington Post. I chose to work here because it's a really incredible place filled with amazing, talented journalists and editors. I have no doubt that there's all sorts of talent in the Washington Post. Bad actors recognize the Washington Post's earnest desire to hear and incorporate feedback, and they exploit that. I'm not seeing an earnest desire here to incorporate feedback. I'm seeing an outlet dragged unwillingly across the line of admitting that there was fault. I do give them credit for admitting that their corrections policy wasn't followed. But when I'm talking about this issue on Friday, I didn't expect a stealth edit because that's far beyond the pale of what these outlets should be doing. I didn't expect it. I, in fact, if you look at that stream, see me looking at it multiple times for where this thing should be in the paragraph because it isn't there any longer when I start to look at it again. And so the Washington Post should be responding to corrections. I don't give you extra credit for that. But bad actors aren't taking advantage of that. They're essentially holding you accountable, as you should be holding accountable whichever outlets you think are problematic in your mind. Hold Fox News accountable. Hold National Review accountable. Washington Post, hold accountable. Same with the New York Times or the New York Post. 
whichever direction you want to look at with this, this doesn't have to be a political kind of concept. Hold them all accountable. Every single journalistic outlet, hell, virtual legality, hangouts and headlines should be held accountable. I love reading your comments and I admit fully when I make mistakes and I'm a human being, I do make mistakes. I try to find those areas for growth. Do that, grow. I know that the stuff I write about and go through is hugely unfamiliar to the vast majority of people in media. I have great hope that all of us can learn from this experience. And then you have the end of this thread for all practical purposes. Now, that isn't the end of this conversation with Taylor Lorenz because CNN picks up this story. Not Fox News, not National Review, CNN. And they start talking about it. And this upsets Taylor Lorenz even more. Oliver Darcy, CNN. In a series of tweets, Lorenz blames her editor for having inserted the error into her story and says she is the victim of a bad faith campaign. That sounds pretty much like what we just talked about, yes? I don't think that this is an inaccurate summary of the thread that we just read from Taylor Lorenz, but you know who does? Taylor Lorenz. No, actually, this type of coverage is so irresponsible and dangerous, it's misrepresenting my words to amplify a manufactured outrage campaign by right-wing media and radicalized influencers. Radicalized influencers, which is driving a vicious harassment smear campaign against me, CNN is gleefully piling on. No, I'm not a radicalized influencer. Reasonable minds can differ. Got it on some shirts. Check out the store. But reasonable minds truly can differ. That's my ethos in life. It's my ethos on this channel. Just because you disagree with someone doesn't make them subhuman. I'm not radicalized at all. And I very much hope that you in chat and otherwise anyone that might be watching or listening to that know that and realize that. This isn't a radicalization outpost here. This is a place where we talk about media reporting, talk about the arguments made. And in this particular instance, talk about the wildness that a journalistic outlet like the Washington Post just cannot get this correction right. And yes, I take offense to being bundled in with right-wing media or radicalized influencers. Some have gone on Twitter and said, hey, well, maybe she's not talking about you. I've been referencing this for the whole weekend and, and in uh, working with Legal Bites as well and, and talking with her uh, on Twitter and elsewhere at the same time. And if it's not intended for me, that's fine. But when you make these overall generalizations, when you talk about criticism here, legitimate criticism as being a part of some kind of conspiratorial media campaign from radicals, you can't separate who you might be otherwise aiming that particular weapon at. And so I do, in fact, take offense. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go to ad hominem attacks. That doesn't mean we have to impugn Taylor Lorenz's personhood. It does mean, however, that we can make a few statements. So yesterday on Twitter, I said, let's talk about this. Hi, Taylor Lorenz. It's not a bad faith campaign, right? This is legitimate criticism. I don't know you from Adam, and I invited you to talk on my show. That invitation remains, Ms. Lorenz. If you would like to come on and explain your perspective, I'm not interested in a debate. I'm not going to fight you on that. I think my viewers and listeners would be very interested in coming to understand how you arrive at the conclusions you do. I might ask some questions about them, but it's not going to be a hostile environment if you'd like to join me on this channel. Door is open. But it's that in an article premised around the fact that content creators don't have the ethical bounds of legacy media, you or 
your legacy publication, right? Because she's claiming that an editor got involved and put the wrong sentence in there, managed to misframe the legal status of Legal Bites and her panel as an influencer with no acknowledgement that she's a lawyer and would otherwise not be pivoting to cover this particular trial and might have some interesting aspects of analysis to add to looking at a legal system to lied about reaching out for comment, which you later acknowledge in your own thread complaining about the conspiracy. Three, removed such a line without noting the edit, which likely would have ended the story there, right? Honestly, let's think about this. The Washington Post removes that line, adds a note for corrections at the end saying, we erroneously stated that we uh, asked these two folks for comment before publication. That never happened. And that's probably the end of the story. Why that doesn't happen here is a giant question mark over the whole thing. Four, you added a note that merely talked of an inaccurate description of the contact with the individual in question, contact that didn't happen. Five, you revised the note again with a closer, but still apparently inaccurate description of the timing. And then you went out online and complained that folks noticing all of this are acting in bad faith. And this was before the tweet where she complained about radicalized influencers taking advantage of this and otherwise engaging in a vicious harassment campaign against her. This is this is my quote unquote vicious harassment campaign, by the way. This is, this is me talking about the issues. You or your publication have the responsibility to get things right. As I said, I don't know you. I have nothing against you. But I can see that your output in this instance is wanting, especially when it wants to frame legacy media as the adults in the room, the only adults in the room. And I can get that. Nobody likes to have their audience go in a different direction. Nobody likes to have their people look at what they are making and say, you know what? I think it's better done over here. And I'm very sorry for that. But the right way to combat that, the law tubes of the world, legal bites, uh, Emily D. Baker, whoever else, is to make a better product, to devote yourselves to getting that information out there better. And if that's not happening, it's not because of a giant conspiracy against you. It's because we're interested in this stuff. We're interested in getting more and better information out there. And right this second, it doesn't look like the Washington Post shares that particular interest with us. I know that both you and the Washington Post can do better. And this is actually one of those that I got the most uh, upset tweets about. It's like, I don't know that, but I do. I'm an optimist. And while I'm looking forward to seeing that, I fear that if you chalk up these legitimate critiques solely to bad faith, Neither you nor your publication will ever get there. If you say all criticism is wrong, you never improve at your practice, whether that's of law or journalism. You have to take these things into account and not simply whine about harassment and bad faith campaigns and right-wing media conspiracies. I understand not loving that Fox picks it up, that the National Review picks it up. By the time CNN picks it up, it's time to do some reevaluating and reflection because you're covering the political gambit here in the United States. And it's a real issue for trust in our institutions. And that's why I finish off by saying, I would love for you to prove me wrong, right? That you are listening to these kinds of things that you can do better because I believe that you can do better. And I would love to see that happen. But at the end of the day, I'm just not sure whether it actually will. So I wanted to make this video here on a Sunday morning, little bit off schedule. This isn't what I'm generally going to do. So, you know, just understand that in terms of the scheduling. Don't just attack Taylor Lorenz. I think that is completely unwarranted. I hate harassment. Harassment is never the answer. Certainly harassment that escalates into threats of all kinds. It is never the answer. Don't do that at all. Taylor Lorenz has put out a piece of 
uh, content that is wanting, and her publication has failed to correct it now at least three times. But that doesn't mean that we have to attack the people behind those decisions. We can talk about the content and the lack of veracity in and of itself. That is the headline for this morning. That's what I wanted to talk about. We can now do Super Chats. We can talk about it. I'm very interested in how you all feel about this. And yeah, I don't want to make it my purview here in this space to talk about people reporting on people reporting on people reporting on things. But I felt this was necessary because I did, in fact, see this escalating throughout yesterday and throughout Friday. And I wanted to mention it here because I think it presents one of the big problems that we see. We see the echo chambers. We see Taylor Lorenz circling the wagons. You can see other tweets that I didn't include in this video where she seeks essentially comfort from other people saying, yeah, this went too far because of Fox and this went too far because of National Review and right-wing folks. Uh, and I have no doubt that that's a part of the story, right? I don't want to discount that Taylor Lorenz appears to be someone that that side of the political spectrum doesn't like. And that honestly, I didn't follow enough before all this happened to understand fulsomely why that is, but that they don't like her and that this was an opportunity to at least talk about that again. I think that's probably true, but you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And there are very legitimate criticisms to be made about the way Taylor Lorenz and the Washington Post handled this. So with that said, let's talk about it a little bit. Automata, you know, I never expected to see Glenn Greenwald quote tweeting the, that umbrella guy and legal bites while criticizing the Washington Post's missteps. What an odd world we live in. I actually don't know that I saw that. Um, that must have been on social media or elsewise. Uh, but yeah, it's it's wild. It's always a smaller world than you think when you talk about these things. Um, and uh, yeah, legal bites has has found herself in a number of very interesting positions in the last couple of weeks. Uh Final Fantasy 14 Vieira, good morning from Virginia and Eorzea. What a pleasant surprise. Well, I'm glad you think so. Yeah, I wasn't planning on making an episode today at all. Adida, as a left-right feminist, I have to agree with Fox. We are all doomed, doomed, I say, with some, uh, what, uh, scared uh, emojis. I guess that's, uh, they got like swirly eyes uh, emojis and then like a knockout ring. Carlos Estrada, is it normal for editors to add sentences after publication? Truthfully, I don't know. I didn't work at the Washington Post. I think editors can certainly move things around, but as a factual matter, uh, that's a little bit odd. I mean, the best way that I can imagine this happening is that the editor asks on a phone call or something where there's just a lot of stuff going on. Hey, did you reach out to these people? Because that's kind of the preferred way of handling an article at the Washington Post. And Taylor Lorenz says, yeah, or is answering a different question. I mean, like that's the benefit of the doubt answer uh, that she somehow confirms it or didn't intend to confirm it. The editor puts it in, says, great. Uh, and then it goes into the article and it's it's erroneous, right? It's wrong. But I, I'm not nearly as upset about that as I'm upset about the stealth edit, then the correction, then the correction again, which appears to be wrong right now. Like that's the issue I have, right? If you can't even get something simple like that right, this is facts that are within your power. <laughs> These are facts that your journalist knows. This isn't going and trying to figure out uh, something in the basement of a building somewhere that happened 60 years ago. This is something that your journalist would have talked about in some capacity on Instagram, on Twitter, or elsewise in the last, I don't know, 72 hours. And you can't either get a straight answer from her or you can't manage to communicate properly what actually happened. Like, that's the fear, right? When we talk about trust in these institutions, I can see a human being making a mistake. There's a miscommunication and this goes out there. Then you quickly answer it and say, oh, that was wrong. 
quick correction. That was wrong. We're very sorry about the error. Done. Never a story. Then you made it a story. Dr. Kartoffel Salat, this is a hilariously stupid side story from this trial. Also, I did not write it. In fact, I tried to have it removed. Spear, smear campaign, deja vu, anyone, republication and stuff. Yeah, people have pointed out that there is a certain amount of irony that this is happening with respect to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial because of writing in the Washington Post that is added or not added and maybe isn't so truthful. Jay Michelt, well, with all this coverage, Legal Bites might be able to get her blue check mark. I also think in context, Lorenz's history is kind of important. I got all the messages about Lorenz's history and, and the stuff that's happened in the past few months. I get that. Um, and I, I can see why that might be important to some folks. I will always try to keep it to the primary source material if I can. Um, but yes, it appears that she does have a certain pattern of going and saying that it's a harassment campaign when things happen that people are otherwise criticizing her about. So that appears to be the case. I wasn't a party to that. Maybe if I had been, I would refer to in this video and in this commentary a little bit more. Uh, but I don't want to bring in my own biases from stuff that I wasn't aware of as it happened. So that's why you see it presented this way in this space. Dr. Kartoffel Salat. Oh, yeah. Also, obligatory greetings and thanks and stuff, you know. Oh, well, thank you, Dr. Kartoffel Salat. David Delsberger, it really feels like so much of this could be avoided by recording changes, com uh, commit history or comment history of edits made and versions of the article itself. Sure, Wikipedia or YouTube, just showing exactly what changed so I don't have to go into the internet wayback machine and figure out exactly what occurred and when, when you're not otherwise marking your edits. Seems like that might be a good journalistic practice here in the 21st century, and yet, here we are. Fun times, I hate that she is claiming bad faith. Asking for things to be correct is not bad faith. Not one, not two, but five exploding head emojis. And who can blame you? My head exploded as well. Carlos Estrada, I'm behind. Ethics need apply when convenient. Templar is 1005 spot on regarding the TL situation. She is a great example of a journal self-deluding themselves with misplaced victimhood and partisan tunnel vision. I honestly can't explain why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. Could be partisanship, could be something else, especially when the easy answer seems so obvious for something like the Washington Post as an institution that's lasted a pretty darn long time with journalists of all kinds of stripes. Spacey Dweeb, she misreports and then is surprised the victims of her shoddy ethics don't want to work with her, so calls them bad faith actors. Interesting take. And it looks like that's the super chats that we have. Let's see what else we have here. Um... See here, Holly Hold, when I feel there's a conspiracy against me, I know I'm in a psychological pickle. Just saying, yeah, when you start to think that way, you at least have to re-examine your premises, right? Conspiracies can exist. Folks can be against you. These kinds of things can happen. And like I said, we can see the kernel of truth. The problem that we always have in this space is often there's a kernel of truth. This was really picked up by right-wing media first and foremost, but it was a legitimate issue. That's why it gets picked up by CNN. That's why it gets picked up all across the internet. Not because Fox and National Review or whatever are making something up, but because they actually seized upon an actual issue with the reporting here that you should address. It doesn't matter. You can't just say, hey, those people are people I don't like and they're reporting on it. So it must be because it's a conspiracy against me when you actually afforded them the legitimate criticism they are now using against you. Or as Candace Nye here says, I think Taylor's credibility would be strengthened over the long haul if Taylor and the Washington Post accepted responsibility for the errors. That's what I'm saying. How short would this story be if the first thing that happens on Friday is 
Um, we didn't actually reach them out to them beforehand. We regret the error. They aren't that big a part of the story. Taylor Lorenz is right on that. Why isn't that the first correction made, right? On the political front, Lemon Fresh, sure, Fox pro probably jumps on this for political advantage, but the criticisms are still valid. Exactly. Carrie Harvey, surprise, Hogue pop up, and I'm here for it. Smiling emoji, heart emoji. Thank you for being here for it. Yep, I gave about five minutes warning on this and showed up about five or 10 minutes late. So just wanted to have this conversation with you all on this fine Sunday morning uh, because I thought it was an important conversation to have. Face in the crowd, radicalized right-wing attack speaks volumes. If you can't stand on fact, grab your ad hominems and straw men. So glad you guys called it out. Video game controller emoji and Alita's blue heart emoji. Yeah, I, I'm proud of her as well. It's easy to get intimidated by something like the Washington Post, these huge media outlets that have this power, that buy ink by the barrel, as the old adage goes. And uh, everybody involved in this story has been very willing to say, no, that's not right. Get it correct. It's not a bad faith campaign. It's not a political attack. It's just get it correct. We can talk about your argument. We can talk about whether the article makes sense. I have my issues with it on those grounds, but we can first and foremost say, let's get the facts correct. And the Washington Post doesn't seem super interested in having that particular conversation. Uh, what else we have here? Uh, let's see. Julia 543, it is Hoag she's calling out because he reported in real time the sentence disappearing in lack of an editor's note. I did. Uh, that video that we did on Friday was actually nine or 10 hours before it really caught on in the rest of the press. Um, so yes, we we noted that the stealth edit, uh, as it happened, basically, I think it happened overnight before we did that video because I prepped for the video and then it wasn't there. Abigail Korfman, very nice of you to say. I'm the level-headed voice of truth I've been waiting for. Hearts in your eyes, emojis. I have my biases just like every human being, but if I'm doing my job right, I will tell you about them when I note them. Um, and that's all, you know, any of us can do. I'll also try to correct when I'm wrong about things as often as I possibly can. Law and Lumber, there's Rob. Good morning, Hogue. I didn't have to wait until Monday for headlines and hangouts, whichever hangouts and headlines. You do H&H &H however you like and couldn't be happier. Rob, thank you so much. You're always great popping your head in here. Uh, and yeah, I, in, in case you're interested, I really didn't send out links to anybody on this. So uh, that's uh, not the kind of video I wanted this to be. I just wanted to get in and out on a Sunday morning. I know everybody has their own plans for a day like this. Uh, and I just wanted to have this conversation because I did feel it was important. And I almost did it last night, but I wanted to, re I really wanted, this is kind of a, a psychological peek behind the curtain. I really wanted to have a day that I didn't stream anything uh, because I think it was the first one in like 57 days or something along those lines. And it was important to me to just have one day where I said, you know what? Didn't stream, but I was this close last night. Uh, Duangai, it might be a right-wing smear campaign, but only because she gave them ammunition to use against her by dodging ethical standards. I, I think that's probably, smear campaign's too strong, right? To me, smear campaign is taking nothing and making it something. Uh, it, it is it is definitely being uh, promoted by the conservative outlets here in the United States. Um, so that is a thing that is happening. But I think the second part of your statement is exactly correct. Uh, this is happening as a le legitimate cr critique because you gave them the space, the ability, the arrows in the quiver to do this. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's right that you'll be hit by this more than maybe another journalist with another byline would be, but the critique is still legitimate, uh, even in that particular instance. Ophelia says, hi, Rob. Uh, other people say morning, Rob, and other welcomes to Rob. 
the Deej Hogla, to add context to Loren's referencing Business Insider, she used to work at Insider, as did Kat Tenbarge, which we also talked about in respect to the tweets that were mentioned in that article. Check out the Friday video if you want more on that. And it's only in the last year or so that she's moved up to the Washington Post, which I honestly didn't know. I know none of this history, so I appreciate the context. Uh, but it would make sense if she had contacts at Insider uh, that she used on this. Tiny Triple says, oh, no, Law & Lumber, another radicalized influencer. Honestly, if I thought people would understand what the reference was and wouldn't take it the wrong way, I might add it to my profile on Twitter, uh, right? Just, just add radicalized influencer uh, to these kinds of things. Magnus Prime, I want to give TL, Taylor Lorenz, the benefit of the doubt, but the fact that none of the edits mention Alita's profession make it hard. She's framing things to fit her narrative rather than fitting the facts, right? Fundamentally, there's issues with the articles. There's issues with Kat Tenbarge's Twitter thread. There's issues with not mentioning that Alita's a lawyer. I don't even know why you reference Alita, right? And I don't know why you reference Alita with weeks old information. If you want to put her to task, you've got more up-to-date information that you can use. But why use a lawyer at all? You've basically framed the entire article, which yes, I probably would have called out in this space, as oh, these influencers are so crazy. Look, they're 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds that used to do haircutting videos or look at videos of attractive men. And now they're talking to you about one of the biggest legal cases, honestly, in the history of the country. Whether or not that's warranted or not is another question. And you're taking their advice and watching their TikTok videos and looking at their memes. How dare you? The Washington Post has ethical standards, unlike these guys. Also, we didn't notice stealth edit, and we have three corrections that still don't appear to be true, but we have ethical standards or else these corrections wouldn't even exist. These wrong, erroneous corrections. Fair enough. Clearly fitting a narrative rather than the facts on the ground. Um, and so when we talk about these things, we can talk about them realistically, noting that the Washington Post and Taylor Lorenz are contouring their message. That's most of what we're going to be talking about here. Hopefully we're not talking about stealth edits every day or I'm really going to lose faith. Uh, in some of these media institutions. Scott R. Hefner, of all people to skip, she chose that umbrella guy. The one channel mentioned by name in the trial. So disingenuous. Didn't Elaine call him that umbrella man or the umbrella man or something like that? Refusal to admit mistakes, shaking my head. Mrs. Hoglaw, but how do you feel about the op-ed not being removed? <laughs> hey there, honey. How you doing this morning? Um, yeah, so we noted in that video that the Washington Post also isn't removing the Amber Heard opinion editorial piece, and I don't think that's a great decision by them. I do think Johnny Depp can go get an injunction on this. I do think that at the end of the day, it's a bad look for the Washington Post to acknowledge that they know that this thing is false and otherwise republishing it every day online for all of you to read, even if it has an editor's note that says essentially the jury found it to be false. I don't find that to be terribly useful. I don't find it to be good journalistic practice. Is it illegal? I don't know. We'd have to look at precedent in terms of defamation in Virginia. We'd also have to look at how Section 230 might protect them as a platform from otherwise publishing this material that was authored by another. There's a whole number of things that could otherwise prevent them from being liable for something like that. And yet, just because you're not liable for something doesn't make it the right choice, right? What is right is not always legal and what is wrong is not always illegal. That's the rule of the day. But thank you for the chat. Kim Hagler became a YouTube member. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Michelle uh, or Michael JM, apologies. Trust in media is so low for reasons like this. Exactly. But there is rarely any self-awareness of this or accountability. Accountability is a good thing. 
when when Taylor Lorenz goes out on her thread and says, you know, essentially, why are they holding us so accountable? The answer should be, hey, if that isn't happening in other outlets to other authors, that's a deficit. Let's get everybody up to the level where everyone is holding each other accountable at that speed, because that's how we try to make sure we get good information. Not that we shouldn't hold anybody accountable solely because it's your political enemies or something along those lines. Erica Fors, in the old days, Washington Post had better editorial standards. Journalists have been fired for less. I don't know. Honestly, I'm sure that that's true, uh, that journalists have been fired for less. But Taylor Lorenz is a high-profile journalist. And I would argue that for the most part, those high-profile journalists take a lot to get fired. Should that be the way? No. Uh, is it? Probably in a real politic kind of sense. Then uh, Ryle, LOL. Thank Hogue for giving up his time this Sunday morning. Question, will you be helping Kurt play Witcher 3? Is he playing Witcher 3? Perhaps teaching the basics of Gwent. See, if I start playing Gwent, this is a problem, right? Uh, if I start playing Gwent, I'm going to have to play Gwent in all the towns. I'm going to have to download the Gwent uh, competitive game. Then I'm going to have to get Thronebreaker, the Gwent adventure game. And it's just a bad scene, right? So I got to watch myself with Gwent. Uh, but yeah, Witcher 3 is awesome. I didn't know he was going to play it on stream. Uh, maybe I'll check in on him. Luna Love, hey, Hogue. Hey, Rob. Law and Lumber in the house. Thanks both for your reasonable minds. Loving the coverage throughout the trial and beyond. Rob's fantastic, isn't he? Always pops in. Seemingly has all his notifications on. Rings all the bells. Likes all the channels. Uh, and uh, it's always fantastic to see him. Uh, Clean Kiwi says, good morning, honey. Hey, Lady Hogue Law. And the stream yard is just advancing randomly, so I apologize. Uh, Colleen fake name. Tim Pool took an ad out in Times Square stating Taylor Lorenz docked someone. Look it up. Fair enough. Um, again, for the most part, because I'm, I'm not interested in the personalities as much as I am in the output, I'm not looking at those kinds of things. But a lot of people have sent me things like that and other instances in the past few months. Uh, they have Super Mix. Taylor Lorenz did the same thing when she worked at New York Times towards Adriana Jacobs. Uh, or uh, Ariadna Jacobs. I think I've seen her on Twitter and in these comments uh, from time to time. Uh, Ruketsu86 became a YouTube member. Welcome, Ruketsu. Luna Love, Rob, I saw you on Joe's live stream yesterday. Your outrage at EB's post-verdict interviews is refreshing and inspirational. She insulted my intelligence and integrity as an SA and IPV survivor. Fantastic, Rob. I didn't see that one, but uh, you've got a fan here. Venmerel, LOL. Kurt tried Gwent, didn't understand the rules, and forfeited a game he was about to win. All right, I might have to talk to Kurt about that. Might have to talk to Kurt about that. Um, and I think that's about it. This is going to be a shorter episode here. Um, I don't know that uh, I want to stay on too terribly long today. Uh, I will be on uh, the BitCast, the Season Gaming BitCast, the video game stream that I've talked about in the past at 11 a.m., so in about an hour and a half from now. But I'm going to take a, a brief breather here. Uh, go hang out with Mrs. Hoaglaw and uh, Kid Hoaglaws uh, so that we can have a, a little bit of relaxing family time before you see me again in about an hour and a half. Uh, but otherwise, thank you so much for jumping on with me with very limited warning to talk about an issue that I think is important and I wanted to talk about with you all. Until you see me next, whether on the BitCast, the next Hangouts and Headlines, or Virtual Legality Proper, have a great weekend, folks, uh, and I will see you then.